My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. Christ is risen. Amen. So this morning, I was struck by a a series of contrasts, and I thought I would share it with you. Something I I read that that kind of surprised me, and, and it sort of set into place for me some of the... I don't know, misconceptions that we might have about, about Easter, about what's, what we're actually doing here this morning, what the church actually confesses, what Christians <laughs> across all time have confessed. And this time of year, because it's springtime, we hear really well-meaning Sermons, maybe, maybe even here, or, or watch something on TV about the beauty of new life, about the death of the grass and, and the trees and, and the flowers in wintertime and the beauty of springtime and how the beauty of springtime brings with it flowers blooming again and new hope. And I always think to myself, hope in what? Based on what? And hope towards what end? And I think that the message of Easter, the message of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ rising from death, has become incredibly diluted. And and I was struck by that specifically this morning when I, I read a devotional. And in a devotional, it said that the gospel writers were un were they were unreliable narrators. It said that the endings of the Gospels were, were all different versions, that their Easter's were all different, that they weren't trying to write an ending, they were trying to, to write a beginning, essentially calling into doubt what we're actually doing here today. And I was struck by that. I was struck by the unbelief of that. And then that brought into mind, as it does, as, as it does to me sometimes, the way that people in the past would have looked at Easter. And I, was, and I recalled to mind one of the letters of St. Athanasius of Alexandria, who in contrast to what I read this morning in the devotional, wrote this. This is the grace of the Lord, and these are the Lord's means of restoration for the children of men. For he suffered to prepare freedom from suffering for those who suffer in him. He descended that he might raise us up. He took on him... He took on him the trial of being born, that we might love him who is unbegotten. He went down to corruption, that corruption might put on immortality. He became weak for us, that we might rise with power. He descended to death, that he might bestow on us immortality and give life to the dead. Finally, he became man, that we who die as men might live again, and that death should no more reign over us. For the apostolic word proclaims, death shall not have dominion over us. And that made me think of the reading from Isaiah that we heard this morning from chapter 25, verses 6 to 9, which I'll reread quickly. It says, On the mountain of the Lord of hosts, you will make for all people, all people, a feast of rich food, 
of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering cast over all people, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And this morning's sermon is entitled, The Veil of Death and the Lord's Salvation. So we're primarily going to stay in this Isaiah text this morning, this Easter morning. Verse 6, the first verse, on the mountain of the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food. So the first question that might pop up in your head here when you, when you heard this is, what is this mountain of the Lord? And you might think it's Mount Sinai, because at Mount Sinai, the people of Israel had a feast when they met God. But I think, and, and so do most commentators on this, they say that the mountain of Lord that Isaiah is referring to here is a reference to the mountain of Zion. And Zion is a mountain that is part of the city of Jerusalem, the city of King David. And the city that was the capital of the southern kingdom of Judah. It's the place where God's temple was. Where God's presence would once a year come and dwell there. Before the prophet Ezekiel sought only to depart in a vision. And on this hill, this mountain of the Lord, this is going to be the site where God himself is going to set a feast of food so delicious that it beggars description. This is going to be better than eating at a three Michelin star restaurant, and it is for everyone. You don't need reservations. You don't have to call ahead. All people, Isaiah prophesies here, all people. No nationality is excluded. No class is excluded. The feast is open to men and women. It's open to everyone. The only thing that will keep one from this feast is throwing away the invitation and declining to come. And this feast speaks of both now and the future. Because in some sense, we come before the table of the Lord for Holy Communion, the Eucharist, right? We're already in some sense participating in this feast right now. It is a foretaste of this feast that we see in Isaiah and then what we see fulfilled in Revelation 9.19, which says, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This feast, like what's to come in the passages from Isaiah, are fully realized in the age to come. And on verse 7, he says, He will swallow up on this mountain the covering cast over all people, the veil spread over all nations. Not only is this rich feast going to be for everyone, but more is happening here. From this mountain, God will swallow up the covering, the veil that has been thrown over all nations. The veil of, 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 of blindness, of, of death. At our house, because we have small children, we have a lot of blankets. And every once in a while, Isaac will go and he'll take a blanket. He's, you know, four. And he, he's been doing this as long as he can walk, I think. He'll take a blanket and he'll throw it on his head. And he'll do this. I can't do that anymore because I'm going to fall over, right? But he'll do, he'll do that. He'll do that. And then he'll try to walk and he'll be like, ha, ah, ha, ha. And then he, you know, we're bad parents, right? So we just let him do it. And he hits, he hits things and he bounces off and he falls down on the ground and he gets back up and he does it again. 
there's a veil over his head. He doesn't care, but he can't see. He can't see. And if we were bad parents, he could hurt himself very badly, which is why when he does it, we usually, okay, that's, that's great. And we pull it off and fold it up, go play with something else. Like my son getting carried away, all of humanity has been covered in something. There is a veil spread over all nations, over every single person. Some take the point of view that this is the veil of, of ignorance, of spiritual blindness. And this does make sense to me, given that St. Paul writes about that. He writes about unbelieving Jews whose eyes are veiled when they read the scriptures, and that veil only coming off when they believe in Christ. And we see in the Gospels, at Christ's crucifixion, the veil of the temple being torn in two from top to bottom. Spiritual blindness, where humanity is unable to see its own sinfulness. But there's more to it than that. And I think when we talk about the veil being cast over all people, it is spiritual blindness and ignorance. But it's also more. And we see what that more is in verse 8, where it says, He will swallow up death forever. And there it is. The veil that has covered all of humanity, that covering that has been cast over all of us, is death. And this has been very much on my mind this past year, because maybe you have seen it in your own families and friends. There has been a lot of death this year, a lot of death. And some of us are still trying to figure out how, how can we mourn? How, what can we do when, when the pandemic has shut down many industries? How can we mourn properly? How can we honor our loved ones who have gone before us? And it makes us unaware of our mortality. It's almost as if every single day of, of, of 2020 and leading into 2021 has been Ash Wednesday. Because Ash Wednesday is the day where we're, where we're brought to the church to remember our mortality and, and, and to begin repentance as we begin the season of Lent. Death. And I say this at funerals oftentimes. It's, it's almost as if death itself is taunting, taunting us. But we see here something incredible. That death itself will be swallowed up by the Lord God forever. And not only that, but God will also wipe away all tears from the eyes of his people, and our reproach will be taken away. St. John writes in Revelation 21, 3 through 4, or verse 4, excuse me, it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And Isaiah is looking forward to that day. The day when the Savior, crucified on the cross, rose from the grave. That act destroyed death, and it conquered death. St. Athanasius wrote, Death has become like a tyrant who has been completely conquered by the illegitimate monarch. Bound hand and foot, the passers-by sneered him. Hitting him, abusing him, no longer afraid of his cruelty and rage because of the king who has conquered him. So death has been conquered and branded for what it is by the Savior on the cross. And we live in that moment, brothers and sisters, 
between then and the future, when that victory will be completely realized for us. That's called, theologians will call this the right now and the not yet. We live in the right now and not yet, where those two are becoming closer and closer together, sort of like a Venn diagram, ultimately will be mashed together into one circle. Death is already destroyed by Jesus Christ. But we know that many of us, should the Lord tarry, we will die. But those of us who die before his return, who believe in him, who confess him, who have feasted upon him, who have been baptized into his body, will live with him until that return, where we and all creation might be made new. And St. Paul picks up on these themes of, of, of death and resurrection and, and the gospel message. Because we have to remember the gospel is a proclamation. The gospel is a proclamation. It's a specific proclamation of the message of a conquering king. That's what the gospel is. It was used, that word was used in the ancient world by kings and rulers to announce their victory. And the writers of the New Testament take that word gospel. A king has conquered. That king has conquered death. That king has conquered sin. This is the good news of the gospel that Jesus Christ is risen. And this is the gospel that Paul preached to them. Isaiah ends his section of his text with the statement that on the coming day they will see the Lord's salvation. And many years after Christ rose in victory, St. Paul writes to the church in Corinth reminding them of this fact, that gospel fact, that Jesus Christ truly died and rose again. And he tells them to hold fast to that word he preached, which is Christ died, he was buried, and he was raised. And not only that, he appeared to a ton of people. And this is not something that is secondary. This is not something that a person cannot believe and call themselves Christian in any meaningful sense of the term. This is of primary importance. I remember a couple years ago, I heard there, there was a, an atheist uh, reporter named Christopher Hitchens. Brilliant man, brilliant writer, very polemic, uh, very polemic writer. Very, <laughs> he had a very sharp wit and even sharper tongue and an even sharper pen. And I remember he had written a book, he very anti-Christian. And he went on the radio program hosted by, uh, I believe the minister was a Unitarian Universalist. And he said, and the, and the host, she said to him, this book is great. I love this book. I don't believe in that Jesus stuff either, right? His crucifixion, his death, all that stuff. I don't believe in that either. I believe kind of in the, in the core of like this message. I, I actually really agree with you, Christopher. I love what you said here. And so he, he, he replied to her, well, you're not a Christian then, are you? And she said, no, I am. I just don't believe this stuff about Jesus, right? It makes me scratch my head too. And he said to her, well, if you don't believe in any of this, this Jesus stuff, then how can you call yourself a Christian in any meaningful sense of the word? Because for this minister, to be a Christian was to be, was to hold an ethic, right? Just an ethic of being kind and nice. 
And as Christians, we are to hold an ethic of being kind and nice. Great, I see you up there, buddy. We are called to be kind and nice, but that's not where it ends. And a lot of people end right there. We are called to be kind, we are called to be nice. But this Jesus stuff is not secondary. This is not something that we can call ourselves a Christian and not hold to. Paul says this is of primary importance. He's, all the scripture points to this, that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the great sifting point for all humanity. Jesus Christ alone, through his death and resurrection, has destroyed death and removed its sting. And if we can't preach that on Easter Sunday, if we can't be clear about that, about that's the basis of all of our hope, the basis of all of our expectations, the basis by which we live our lives, then what good is it? If all we're doing here is just trying to learn how to be nicer people, I could go learn that from preschool. And so, brothers and sisters, I call on those who have not repented and believed in the good news that Christ died for you, that Christ rose for your justification, and that Christ is coming again. I cannot be any more clear about that than I can today. Right now, repent and believe the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, has destroyed death, has destroyed the power of sin, calls you to repent and to believe and to be baptized into his body, the church. In conclusion, the poet John Donne wrote this many centuries ago. Death, be not proud, though some have called thee. Mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. For those whom thou thinkst thou dost overthrow, die not, poor death nor yet canst thou kill me. From rest and sleep, which but thy pictures be, much pleasure, then from thee much more must flow, and soonest our best men with thee do go, rest of their bones and souls delivery. Thou art slave to fate, chance, kings, and desperate men, and dust with poison, war, and sickness dwell, and poppy or charms can make us sleep as well, and better than thy stroke, why swelt'st thou when? One short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. And to our risen and coming again, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be all glory together with his Father, who is from everlasting, and his all-holy good and life-creating spirit. Amen. I ask that everyone please stand. Now that we've heard the word of the Lord, what Christ has done for our salvation, let us together respond in faith as we affirm our faith as expressed through the Nicene Creed. Let us confess this together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, 
of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. If you have a few minutes, I'd like to ask you to go to GoFundMe.com slash ZionStoneChurchRepairFund. Our bell tower is in need of some major renovation and repairs, and we can use whatever help you're able to give to us. If you'd like to find out more about us, check us out on our Facebook page, ZionStoneUCC, or on our website, ZionStoneUCC.com. Thanks again for listening. I pray that these sermons will continue to strengthen you in your walk with Jesus Christ, and may the blessings of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you. Thank you.